0: Just a quick reminder, um, this coming Wednesday is our last day of, of prayer for this campaign. So every Wednesday we've been praying from 6 to 8 a.m. and 6 to 8 p.m. Um, so this coming Wednesday will be the last one for this campaign. Um, we have a uh, prayer and worship night scheduled for this Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. So hope you join us there as we wrap up our Pray Like Jesus campaign. So today we have a guest speaker, um, Tammy Kettleson is going to be speaking today. She is uh, she and her husband Levi, pastor at Journey Church here in Burlington and we are just absolutely privileged to have her and to hear from her. So would you guys please welcome Tammy?
1: Well, I just want to start by honoring your pastors. I love that you guys are Um, maybe forcing them? I don't know. Uh, They're probably gladly leaving um, for sabbatical, but I think it's incredible that you guys are choosing to honor them in that way, to give them space and time um, to rejuvenate, to heal from a year of craziness, right? Um, to seek new perspective and vision for this church, for this community. Um, My husband and I moved here about eight years ago to become the campus pastors of um, the Burlington campus of Journey Church. So it was the first time that we went multi-site. And so we took on that role and we moved here. And about a year, I think, later is when we heard that there's going to be another church planting here in Burlington, um, that your pastors were coming to plant this church. And in that moment, my husband and I became your Pastor Johns. I don't know how you guys do that with two Pastor Johns. Um, But we became their biggest fans, because we believe that the more healthy Bible-believing churches in a community help spread the gospel quicker. Amen? And so um, we began to encourage and challenge the people of our community just to get into a healthy church. And Around this time, every Sunday, my husband is here, but he's going to take off in a little bit and walk out because we have service starting uh, at 10 o'clock, but around this time, every Sunday, you will find my husband and our team praying for you, praying for your pastors, praying for this church and every Bible-believing church in our community because we want to see Jesus famous in Burlington. That's our heart, and we believe that is also the heart of your pastors. There are not many pastors that you will find that will share their platform with another pastor in the same community. Um, but your pastor, in a community that seems to be completely divided right now, your pastor is seeking for ways to bring unity. And when churches can unite, it's a pretty powerful force. And so we honor your pastors, um, we think that they are humble. Kind visionaries for this community. We are cheering you on and we gladly support you and do ministry with you in Burlington. So thank you for trusting me with your body today. It is an honor that I do not take lightly. So this past year, I have been um, discipling our seniors in our youth ministry. Um, Long story, but just a glimpse is God has called me and given me a word to mother a generation. And so I have taken our youth ministry um, kind of as uh, this is my job right now. And so the seniors before they head out as a mom, I want them to be prepared. And so I've decided to disciple them. We do monthly discipleship. We started in the fall with studying the Bible. How do we study God's word? And I taught them some different Bible study methods and how to dig deeper into a scripture that sometimes it's saying more than what you think it's saying. Um, I taught them how to find context and to figure out who's speaking and to whom are they speaking. All of that matters. And then we moved into prayer and faith. And um, I learned pretty quickly that a few of our seniors were actually having a hard time believing that God is their father. Because they have earthly fathers who have let them down multiple times in some really big ways. And so I knew that I needed to kind of pause for a minute because for them to see their heavenly father in a more accurate or complete perspective... We needed to first talk through the pain they were feeling here on earth from their earthly fathers. So we kind of stepped back and began to dive into who God is and do we believe that God is who he says he is. So today that is what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about who is the God that you are praying to and how do we approach the God that we pray to. A.W. Tozer says that what comes to our mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. So when you think of God, what comes to your mind matters. What we believe about God will and does seep into every area of our life, every space that we occupy and every situation and conversation that we engage in. And for us, for me to have an accurate perspective on how to parent my children, I have three girls, Um, as for me to have an accurate perspective on how to love my husband well and how to have a healthy marriage, for me to have an accurate perspective on how to show up in my workplace or to engage in conversations in this community about racial injustices, or for me to have an accurate perspective on how to have a conversation and to love the LGBTQ community, I first must start with an accurate perspective on who God is because it is from that perspective that I show up in life. It's from that perspective that I have conversations. And if I don't have a healthy perspective on who God is, then I don't have a healthy perspective on who's in front of me. And so we need to know God better because what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us and I realize that until I move towards holiness until I move towards a space of understanding God I will continually fail myself and I will continually fail others so let's talk about perspective how you and I view anything in life is based on our own perspective right and that comes from a lot of different areas so it could be based on your nurture where were you raised who raised you Um, How were you raised? What views did your parents have? That shapes your perspective. And it could be also based on our nature. What are the personalities and traits that God has already deposited in you? Um, What are the birthright gifts that you were given when you were born? All those things shape our perspective. It creates who we are. Um, And we all have different perspectives on many things. I think we've learned that this past year, that we all have our own views. We all have our own opinions. Um, So when we look at this picture, here, yes, there we go. When you look at this picture, you could see one of three things. You could see a young woman looking over her shoulder. You could see an old woman looking down. Or you could just see a bunch of black and white blobs and not actually make anything of it at all. Um, But no matter how you see it, does that make you wrong? Well, no. The way you see it is the way you see it. And that does not make you wrong. Perspective matters. I grew up in the church, and I grew up not far from here. I grew up in Racine. And um, I grew up going to church about three to four times a week from birth until I went to college. And um, I was in many services, um, sermons. I mean, I sat under a lot of teaching in those 18 years. And when I left for college, I had a perspective of God and a literal picture in my mind of God sitting at a bench with a robe on, and he had a gavel in his hand And he had a microscope and he was watching everything that I was doing. And he was just waiting for me to make a mistake or mess up or sin. And then he would just drop that gavel down and hand out the punishment. That was my perspective. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what I was taught. That just means that's how I viewed him based on my nature, my nurture, and my experience. And so uh, our perspective matters. I cannot tell you how many times... Um, I have had people tell me in life that when I first met you, I thought you didn't like me. Or when I first met you, I thought that I annoyed you. People have told me this multiple times, but then they finish it with, but once I got to know you, I realized that wasn't true. Or once I got to um, get into a better relationship with you, I learned that that was not who you were. Now, the second half of the sentence doesn't always make the first half feel any better, just so you guys know, (laughs) but that's just how people had perceived me at different points in my life. The reality is when we first meet someone, we have a very small glimpse of who they are, right? We don't really know them. We don't know what makes them um, excited or what makes them angry. We just have a small glimpse of who they are. I think at some point, or another, we have all um, friend requested or accepted a friend request or followed someone that we didn't really know. Uh, maybe your kids uh, were in the same class and so you wanted to like set up a play date so you just like friend requested the mom on Facebook and tried to get that relationship going. And so after a while you see things that as you're scrolling through social media, you see parts of their life. You can maybe put together what they do for work or know all of their kids' names Um, You could know that their son just got accepted into the college of their choice, and you even can know um, how beautiful their parfait was for breakfast, right? And then there's that moment that happens, it always happens, you see them in the store, and you're like, shoot, what do I do? You have a complete conversation in your head about um, whether or not you should go and say hi to them. Because you don't really know them, you've really actually never had a conversation with them, but you know all sorts of information about them. And you're trying to figure out whether or not you engage. And then if 2020 brought about anything, you also now know who they voted for, whether or not they think masks work, you know exactly whether or not they're getting the vaccine or not, or how they want to engage in racial injustice conversations in our community, right? We know all these things without even ever having a conversation with them. So you might do what I would do and turn the corner, walk down a different aisle and just get out of there. (laughs) This is how it is when we first meet God on a personal level, right? We live in America. If you grew up in America, it's a country that is said to be founded on who God is, our money says, in God we trust. So there's a perspective you have of God just by growing up in America. And then when you begin to build a relationship with God, whether that was as a child or as an adult, you came to know God, you start a personal relationship with him and you get to know God as your savior, right? He saved you. And you get to make him the Lord of your life. But if you never go any further in your relationship with God, you would miss out on most of who he is. There are so many facets and realities to who God is, that if we never go past the introduction of who God is, we will be lacking so much in our lives. If we never go past that first initial moment of learning God as our savior, we would never know that God is the God who is near. We would never know that God is the God who heals, or he is powerful and mighty, There were many parts of him that we would not know, and our perspective would be incomplete. I have a picture of a corn maze. This is at Richardson Farm, which is not far from here. Uh, Our family started going there, I don't know, maybe six years ago. Every year, they're supposed to be one of the largest corn mazes, at least in the Midwest, and the nation, I'm not really sure. But um, this was their corn maze last year. They were celebrating 50 years of Earth Day. And from this view of the corn maze, you can see the full picture and get an accurate perspective of what they were trying to do you see hands an earth you see mountains and waterfalls there's a lizard over there you can see what their plan was and you can see the execution from this perspective but when you're in it this is what you see You could be wandering around for hours and not know if you're in the right hand or the left hand. I mean, they do have markers in there, but for illustration's sake, we'll just say there's no markers. (laughs) Um, You might be in the waterfall, or you could be standing in the middle of that heart. You have no idea from this perspective where you're at. And this is kind of how we can view God From the aerial view, we can see a grand picture and a beautiful orchestration of all kinds of things. But from the view we stand on here in this broken, fallen world, we have to actually move around corners and continue occupying space in our life and engaging in God's word, engaging in a relationship with him to learn a little bit more about who he is. You could turn the corner and you could see maybe in this season of your life, you're needing that nearness of God. You're needing him in 2020 to be so near to you, and you gain a little bit more perspective of that. Or you could turn another corner and walk down the heart and see and learn the God who heals, because in that season, you're needing the healing. But until you need for something, there's a part of him that you won't know. And so our perspective of God matters. So how do we get an accurate view of God? Well, he gave us his word. That's the great place to start. God has given us his word as the clearest description of who he is. In the Old Testament, he reveals his character, his love, his righteousness, wrath, justice, and his promises. And then we'll see in the New Testament that God reveals Jesus, right? His character in flesh and his plan for the future. I cannot explain all of God to you this morning. We don't have the time nor the ability to do so. I think someday we'll all be able to work this out in heaven together when we see the full majesty of who God is. But the truth is, we don't get to define God. God defines himself, and God defines us. We don't define him. You know, our body all works together, right? We have every part of our body matters, and every part of our body works. Um, for a specific reason. And we have our eyes that really matter a lot because if our eyes aren't working well, if our eyes are blurry, then that affects how we move our hands. When you reach for something, you might be completely off because your vision is blurred. Or when you walk or drive, it could um, inhibit you from doing what makes the most sense. And so our eyes matter a lot. And when there's an issue, we get corrective lenses, right? We get contacts or glasses to help us see a little bit clearer. Well, that, I believe, is what the Bible is for us, for our faith, for our soul. It's our corrective lens to see God more accurately. We see from Genesis to Revelations that God interacts with and saves his people. And it is from there that we can learn and better understand him. I think that God is more misunderstood than we can imagine. And really more than we can even want to admit at times. Um, Oftentimes I think we want to create God in our image rather than God creating us in his image. We want to assign him attributes and characteristics that make sense to us and help us feel better about who we are. And occasionally we want to try and assign him things to do and tasks to do for us. Um, and we even want to tell him what time to do it because that helps us feel better about our life or the way we live. In Genesis 1.1, we say, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, there was God and nothing. There was nothing until he created it and he has been our creator and creating ever since. So we see God in the beginning as creator, designer, and giver of life. The Baylor Institute for Studies of Religion did a research um, study entitled, The Values and the Beliefs of the American Public. They concluded that America has four different gods, the authoritative God, They say God is like a literal father, both engaged as a positive force in the world and a judge of the behavior of humankind. Suffering can be the result of social and individual sins. There's the benevolent God. God is mainly a force for good in the world, a being who answers the prayers of individuals and comforts the suffering. The critical God. God is less likely to be concerned with moments in the lives of individuals, but will mete out judgments in the next life. And then there's the distant God. That God is a cosmic force that sets the laws of nature in motion but does not get involved in the day to day events or movements. So, how do we go from creator God to authoritative, benevolent, distant, and critical God? Well, if we go back to Genesis, we can see that God told Adam when he created the garden you can have anything you want in this whole garden. Every tree, every bush, anything you want. But there's one tree, just one tree, that I don't want you to eat from, because if you do, you will die. And so God gives a word. He gives a spoken word. It's a law. It's a command to Adam. Don't eat from this one tree. And then we see that this, that Satan comes, dis- disguised as the serpent, and talks to Eve. He's like, I mean do you really think that you'll die if you eat from this tree? Like, I don't think that's true. That's not really who God is. I think that what will happen is you will become like him. You'll become like God. So now Adam and Eve have two words. If one is obeyed, or if one is, um, uh, if they follow through with one, then God is obeyed. And if they decide to follow through with the other, then God is disobeyed. So what do they do? Adam and Eve decided to follow what the serpent said. And God was disobeyed. And in that moment, Adam and Eve decided that God was not trustworthy. That God was not telling the truth. And so they moved in life and they decided in their life that the God of the universe was not somebody to be trusted. And because we fall under Adam, because we fall as humankind under the bloodline of Adam, we inherited this sin. This sin just comes along with the deal because we live in a fallen world. And everything consciously and unconsciously at its core is based on what we believe about God. And Adam told us that God was not worthy of our trust. So this is why some people don't give their anxieties to the Lord because he doesn't, they don't believe that he actually cares for them. But what does God say? In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast your anxiety and cares on me because I care for you. But maybe we don't believe that God actually cares for us. Everything we think, say, and do goes in tandem with what we believe about God. That isn't a new problem. Even God's chosen people, the Israelites, had an incorrect view of him after years in slavery. God led the Israelites out of their bondage. He parted the Red Sea for them to pass through. Each morning, he provided uh, manna that rained down from the sky for them to eat. Yet they couldn't find water, so they doubted their provider. Time after time, God provided, but the Israelites failed to trust his goodness and his provision. Because we live in a fallen world, Because we are human, our natural bend can be that we choose created things over the creator. Just like Adam and Eve, they chose the fruit of the one tree, the created thing, over their creator. And this can look like many different things. This can look like us choosing the idea of God in our mind over the actual holiness of who God is. It can look like us choosing fear and worry because we don't believe that God is really faithful. We can choose anger and wrath for our enemies because we don't believe God is just. We may choose to um, live out of chaos because we don't believe that God is the God of peace. Maybe we choose control because we don't trust that God is actually powerful and all-knowing and maybe we believe that if we don't um, manipulate things to happen in our life that everything will fall apart. And all these choices stem from our trust in God our trust in God stems from the fall of Adam and his decisions not to trust God way back in the beginning Jackie Hill Perry says that if God is holy he can't sin and if God can't sin he can't sin against me and if God can't sin against me wouldn't that make him the most trusted being there is I believe today that God is asking us, if I am so completely good that I should be trustworthy, why is it or what is it about me as a being that you don't think I am more worthy to you than idols or ideals of who I am? With the remaining time, I just want to share a few accurate views of who God is. Because the truth is that the four gods of America are kind of true, but you got to put them all together, right? When we have a narrow view of who God is, we have an inaccurate view of who God is. He is far greater than we can even think or imagine. We have to pan out to see him more clearly. If he fits into the box that you created for him to fit into, your God is too small. In the Gospels, there's a woman who has been struggling with the issue of bleeding for 12 years. Mark chapter 5 says that she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all the money she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt her body was freed from her suffering. This woman had an accurate view of God's healing. The Bible doesn't tell us much about her, but there are a few things we can gather about her. Um, First of all, she's a woman, and so at this time, the culture would have said, customs would have said, that women cannot touch men in public, even if it's your husband. Women were not allowed to touch men in public. So she um, had a lot of faith in who Jesus was to be there but also she was unclean for 12 years she was bleeding so she was not clean so she if she touched anyone she would make them unclean so she actually shouldn't have even been in this public space but she had a view of God that was greater than the fear of her custom she had a view of God that was greater than the fear of what might happen to her if she showed up in that space where she was not welcomed Could you imagine for 12 years not being able to be touched by anyone, not being able to be held by anyone in your suffering? The fact is that the crowd and the customs of those days didn't scare her because her faith in Jesus was so much greater. The view she had of God moved her to action. It says that um, Jesus turned to her and said, your faith has made you well. Her perspective of God made her well. How she viewed God healed her. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were fighting, yet again, another battle. They're good for that. Uh, They were helping the Gibeons fight off the Amorites. And in Joshua 10, 8, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. So Joshua gathered his troops, set out, and they arrived to defeat the to defeat with his army, but some of the men fled. You guys, the Bible is so cool. Like you really need to read it if you're not reading it. But it says that um, some of the men were fleeing and so God made hailstones and threw them down from the sky to kill the, uh, the men that were fleeing. And it says that more men died from getting hit by hail that day than by the swords of the Israelites. Like come on, how good is our God? So Joshua ten twelve says, On the day the Lord gave Amor- the Amorites to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and moon, and the moon, or, oops, scrolled too high, and moon over the valley of Ajalon.' So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to human beings. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Joshua commanded the sun in the sky to stand still. Joshua had an accurate view of the power of God. He didn't ask God to defeat the enemy. He asked God to assist by holding back the night because Joshua believed that God could actually do it. Truly anything is possible for God, even things that I don't even think to ask him are possible for him. Mary Magdalene waited on Jesus and provided, his ministry, provided for his ministry while he was here on earth. When he went into the tomb, she waited, she stayed, she remained while all the disciples left because she had an accurate view of him because while he was on earth, he taught of how he was going to die and be resurrected. And Mary believed him. She trusted that, so she remained, and she stayed at the tomb waiting to see what would happen. And Mary got to be the first person that Jesus appeared to and talked to. She got to be the first person. Mary, a woman, got to be the first person to share the good news of Jesus and the fact that he was alive. She had an accurate view of the Savior. Esther went into an unsafe environment to earn the love and respect of the king to save her people. She knew it was risky, but she trusted God. She had an accurate perspective of God. David, showing up to deliver lunch to his brothers, ends up killing Goliath, a man that no one else, older, more skilled, or better physically fit, was willing to do. But David, filled with confidence in who God was, decided to fight against him. It took one stone and one slingshot to bring him down. David had an accurate perspective of God. A little over two years ago, one of my best friends lost her nine-year-old son to a drowning. It was the hardest day of her life, and the last two years have been a roller coaster of trials, emotions, fear, terror, and a better understanding of who God is And I asked her recently, what do you know about God now that you didn't know about him two years ago? And she said, before this accident, I thought I knew God's peace. Before this accident, I thought I knew the nearness of God. But since then, I've learned God on a whole new level. There's so much that God Um, That of God that we can't even comprehend he is bigger and he is greater than we will ever know this side of heaven Could God have saved her son and heal his body from what happened in that pool? I believe he could have and I don't know why he didn't But what I do know is the last two years as I've walked with her through the pain through the sadness through the hardness that in this world in this broken world God was right when he said we'll have troubles. It hasn't been easy. And I'm not just talking like, oh, it was a hard day. I'm talking troubles. We will have hard troubles. And I have watched God be faithful to the healing of a mom's broken heart and shattered dreams of her boy. And that's a perspective of God that my mom heart could never have fathomed prior to these last two years. I learned that we cannot allow circumstances to tell us who God is, but that God will reveal himself in every single circumstance that we walk through. This past year was pretty rough for me. I'm sure it's been pretty rough for a lot of people in this room. Um, I started 2020 thinking that it would be the year of clear vision. I was so excited, like I was gonna see clearly all the things that God was showing me and asking me to do. And then I learned pretty quickly that it was actually going to be a year of God showing me where I was blind. It was going to be a year where he was showing me things that I believed for a long time but were not accurate to him or to the world around me. And as a pastor, a pastor's wife, a leader, and a mom, I was being asked to make finite statements, finite decisions that were going to affect other people. And statements, I think were more about helping the other people feel better about themselves or feel better about who I was as their leader. And for the first time in my life, I was beginning to feel anxiety and stress on a whole new level. There were days that felt extremely debilitating for me. It seemed that um, in those moments that anything I said or did would somehow offend somebody. And God was asking me, In this season to walk with people rather than stand on issues but there were a lot of people in my family in my church in this community that were asking me to stand on issues stand on politics stand on certain things but God was asking me to walk with people hurting people broken people and for some reason that offended people And so I found myself at the end of summer, beginning of fall, uh, extremely exhausted to say the least. Where I thought clarity was going to come and open my eyes, I realized that things began to break my heart in my church, in my community, and in some of my family. I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that has felt this this past year. I learned that wrestling with your faith isn't a sign of weakness, weakness, but it's an evidence of your humanity. I was consistently exhausted. No amount of sleep, downtime, or naps was going to heal this exhaustion. I learned in the fall that no matter how much I slept at night, how many engagements I was supposed to attend but chose to cancel because I just needed to take care of me, um, no matter how many naps I took throughout the day, that I was still going to be tired because no amount of rest can refresh a soul. I needed spiritual rest, and the Lord brought me to Psalms 23. And I learned a part of the God as my good, good shepherd in a new way this past year. I memorized Psalms 23 as a child. I could have recited it to you, but when I do that, sometimes I don't get it. <laughs> right? Like we're going by memory and we forget about feeling. And so I began to read it slower. And when I did, I saw God in a new way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It doesn't say he invites me into a comfy space. It says he makes you lie down in green pastures. And I felt that last year. God's like, get in here. We need to talk. (laughs) He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't say he eliminates your enemies and makes you feel good about yourself so you can go on with your day. It says that he sits with you in the presence of your enemies. He stays. He's near. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God remains and sustains even when I'm floundering. The more I engage with him and the more I study his word, I learn there is so much more of him to be known. We can spend our lifetime here on earth reading the word and walking with God, but we will not fully know him until we we reach heaven. He He has more for me and more for you than you can ask or imagine. He is exactly who he knows I need him to be in every season, in every moment, in every trial, in every celebration. But I may not get to know this side of him until I arrive in the moment that I need it, just like my friend who lost her son. She didn't need that kind of peace before, but when she arrived in the moment, she received the kind of peace that God is. So I wonder today, what steps could you take to lean in to who God is, to get to know him a little bit more, to get a more accurate and complete view of who God is? What daily, weekly, and monthly practices can you begin to incorporate into your life so that when you walk into situations and conversations and relationships, you have an accurate view of who God is, so you have an accurate view of who's sitting across from you. So as we move to close today, I just want to remind you that your perspective of God matters. Your perspective on how you view him matters. So whatever you're thinking of God today, know that there is more. Let's pray god you are so great (laughs) you are so mighty you are incredible you are our healer you are our giver of life you are the creator you are the anointed one god we pray today that as we navigate our life we begin to see you in an accurate view that we begin to recognize that whatever we think of you right now is still not fully who you are and that you create space for us to sit in your presence, to know you deeper, to know you greater. And in turn, we know ourselves greater and we know others greater. God, we give this message to you. And we ask that you do what you can with it when we leave this place. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Let's go into a time of prayer. I want to invite you to just close your eyes. And as Tammy was speaking about today, just imagine God. What comes to mind when you think of God and who he is? Is it just the judge sitting on the bench? Is it just the the near, the kind, the loving father? Is it just the transcendent, far beyond us, creator of the universe, all-powerful God. Put all of those together. And imagine God as who he is and who scripture reveals him to be. Remember that God exists as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So imagine the Father. Imagine Jesus, the one who came to earth, God in flesh, took on human form to save us. Imagine the Holy Spirit indwelling you empowering you, equipping you, convicting you, leading you. Spend a moment, imagine and thank God for who He is and that He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to praise God together in community. This week in the devotional, each day we're going through a prayer guide. Think of this as a course to wrap up our campaign. And at the beginning of it, we're going to follow the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And at the beginning of it, we're going to praise God for who he is. So I invite you to praise God in community here, but don't let it stop here. Tomorrow, praise God in the same way. Use the words of the songs that we sing here. Use the words of the Psalms and praise Him. Praise Him for who He is. So would you stand with us and let's praise God for how awesome He is.